This is Wayne Jernell, editor of Theory and Research in Social Education, and this episode of Visions of Education features a TRSC published author. Enjoy. You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators and the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Dan, do you ever have one of those moments where you're doing reading and you're like, holy cow, this is a lot crazier than I ever knew? Oh, I mean, I think so many books do that to you, right? You, It's the stories that are so enthralling and actually learning the details of someone's life. I feel like every book at some point, I'm like, I did not know this and I should have. I'm like mad at the world for not having told me yet. I think one of the, a couple of years ago, I was reading the book 1491, which I'm holding right here for our people listening. And uh, I was reading about the story of what we call Squanto or Tusquantum. And I never realized, because I'm only used to like, you know, Squanto, you know, from the, the canon, here is the Thanksgiving, right? He was really badass. It's absolutely fascinating about his entire backstory, and it's so much cooler than we actually give him and then history credit for. And it was just like, holy cow, we really need to do a better job telling stories about people instead of just making them these, like, mythical creatures almost. And I know that that's a negative way to phrase it, but I feel like when you talk about Native Americans in American history, it's almost like they're not real they're kind of these like they're just these other and learning more about him after reading the book i was like holy cow that's kind of amazing and if i had known that backstory that would have just added so much value to to my understanding of him and even the indigenous folk who were here before well i think the the hard thing for social studies teachers is indigenous historical figures often exist within like a kind of colonial march progress forward right right and so within that it's it's probably hard for their stories because they're they often can be you know it's like the literally in the textbooks like on the margins like they're like the like pop outs on the margins which here's an indigenous person from the past and when their stories aren't integrated within their worlds and they're not told kind of holistically it's probably hard to place and understand those stories and and so that's probably the problem with the way our stories center in on, you know, kind of the, the lives of, of, you know, the founders, starting with the founders oftentimes or people or explorers, quote unquote. And, you know, which is a choice, these Eurocentric terms that are used as opposed to invaders or things. And so the perspective and centering of stories is always so central to how we understand individuals. Yeah, it, just, it made me think a lot about, yeah, like the myths and the stories in, in the, the humanity of, of people. Right. And so I was hoping that we could talk about this a little bit more, but ideally with someone who was much more well-versed than, you know, my just having to read 1491 and a bunch of other books about the same topic, someone else who can chat with us. We got someone for you. Do we, we really? really? Like to, we, we do. We do. We would like to welcome into the podcast, Harper Keenan. Welcome. Hi, everybody. Hey, Harper Keenan. How you doing? I'm doing good. It's nice to talk with you. Thanks for having me. We are thrilled for you to be here. Do you mind, before we get into it, if you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in education? 
Sure. So currently, I'm a postdoctoral fellow at Stanford University in the teacher education program here, and I work with the elementary teacher education program. And I'm about to transition into a new role as a assistant professor at the University of British Columbia and the Faculty of Education there. Congratulations. Thank you. But before all of that, I was a fourth grade teacher in New York City where I really struggled with how to tell the stories of the past to my students. And so that's what's brought me into this work. What were some of the struggles that you that you had that made you realize that you wanted to do more? Yeah, so I taught elementary school again in New York to a racially diverse, in the true sense of the word, there was no dominant racial group in my class, but a racially diverse uh, group of kids. And particularly as a white teacher, I felt like all the materials that I had been given really maintained a narrative of the past that was rooted in white supremacy and building a story that made white folks look really good and people of color look uh, pretty subservient. And especially as a white educator of children of color, I didn't think that that was responsible to kind of extend that narrative and perpetuate that narrative. So I was really in search of another way of doing things, but many, many, many of the materials that are available for teaching history in elementary schools don't do a great job of talking about the history of race in the United States or the history of violence through the colonial period and beyond. I've always found kids are, are really interested in issues of injustice and, and the term, you know, they often use is that something's unfair. And so it always surprises me when educators, you know, the first response I get from often white educators is that kids can't handle this or they can't talk about this. But I, that's not ever been the case that I've found. I've found kids actually have a real keen interest in these topics and want to understand them better. Is that, is that kind of the experience you've had? And how, when you talk to educators about this, do you, you know, kind of convey to them that this work kids can start doing at a young age? And in some cases, they already are. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, and I hear it all the time. So that really resonates with me. So I would say a couple of things about it. I guess first, you know, I can appreciate that teachers want the best thing for their students and, and they want uh, students to feel positively in school. And I think that's part of where some of that's coming from. And I would say that the, the actual reality of a, children's, a child's world is far more complex than I think many adults know. So they see things, they learn things, that lots, of, that lots of us don't know about or don't observe. So kids are actually quite aware of, uh, you know, terrible things that happen in the world today about violence. They watch the news, they see television, they engage with newspapers. They, they know that we live in a violent world and they are struggling to learn about it and understand where that violence comes from. And I think that we do them a disservice when we don't engage with them on that topic and meaningfully address their questions about, you know, the roots of violence in the world today. So that's one point I would make. And then the other thing is that um, for the past six years, I've been engaged in an empirical study of how young children, particularly fourth graders, learn about colonial history in the United States um, with a focus on California and California's history of colonization. And one of the studies that I ran was of all of California's 
state-recommended textbooks. And I analyzed those to see how they represented issues of violence and how those representations differed according to ethnic group, particularly Spanish colonizers and indigenous people. And what I found, I expected actually that they wouldn't talk very much about violence. Um, but what I found was that they did talk about violence. The textbooks did talk about violence, but they talked a lot about violence against Spanish colonizers and very little about violence against indigenous peoples. And that's a study that's gonna come out later this summer in Teachers College Record. But what that revealed to me is that kids are already learning about violence. They're just not learning about violence in the way that historians uh, know violence occurred in the past. So kids can handle the truth, like the movie. Good, good delivery there. It's, you know, I, the same thing in Texas. They, I've heard people make the argument that teaching, you know, kids about slavery or teaching kids about the violence against indigenous peoples in what became Texas is too much for kids to handle. And it's so ironic because then I asked them if they think we should teach the Alamo, which was literally a slaughter, and they say yes. So it does seem that the types of violence that we allow into our schools is very much not based on whether it's violence or not, but whose perspective it's sharing. So one of the reasons we're having you on today, besides the fact that you've already gifted us with so much wisdom, is that you recently published an article in Theory and Research and Social Education. So Woo-hoo! first, congratulations on your publication. Thanks. No easy feat. And the article is titled, Visiting Chichui, Make the Making of a Colonial Counterstory on an Elementary School Field Trip. Can you tell us about this study? Sure. Yeah, this was, I think, one of the most powerful and humbling experiences that I've ever had as an educator. And so this study really documents some of the really powerful pedagogical work taking place at Mission Dolores in San Francisco by two Ohlone indigenous educators, Andy Galvin and Vincent Medina. Vincent is no longer working there, which is something I talk about in the article. But what they are doing is they are trying to, at the site of one of the original Spanish colonial buildings in San Francisco, it's the oldest building in San Francisco that is still remaining from the colonial, Spanish colonial period. Andy and Vincent are doing an incredible job of trying to build in uh, indigenous counter narratives to colonial history. And so they host field trips on site for mostly groups of fourth graders, because in California, most fourth graders study the Spanish mission system. And what they do is they teach the story of colonization according to the Ohlone people. And that way of telling the story is very, very different from how we see the narrative of the Spanish missions in textbooks. Kind of, It's actually quite similar in a lot of ways to the representation of the Alamo in Texas. Do you mind talking uh, just a little bit about what the... So I'm from Massachusetts, and we don't spend much time on the Spanish mission system. I'm fairly certain the only time I ever read about it was one time when I was in California uh, on a train. Do you mind tell, like, talking a little bit about the, what the narrative is and then how it was challenged in the field trip? Yeah, so I think that the the narrative is quite similar to a lot of colonial narratives that we see across the United States about the colonial, the early colonial era. So the really... You know, and this is a simplified version of it, but the simplistic 
narrative that is often told is that the Spanish came to California to set up a series of 21 missions along the coast to convert indigenous peoples to Catholicism. Sometimes it will talk a little bit about, you know, also to converting indigenous peoples to being Spanish citizens. That doesn't always get addressed. But that the Spanish are seen as kind of the founding fathers, the Spanish padres are seen as the founding fathers of California. And, you know, the San Diego Padres, which is uh, one of our Major League Baseball teams, are a reflection of that. And then all through the state of California, you see a lot of Spanish architecture. All through the state, there's a, a road called El Camino Real that is marked by little bells along the side of the road that is meant to kind of be a modern day, you know, road along the path that connected all 21 missions. So that's a kind of simplified version of the story. So I think the biggest thing is that it's framed completely differently. So often we see colonial, early colonial histories represented as bringing progress to the land and kind of modernizing land and people, etc. And what's really different at Mission Dolores is that uh, the way that, in particular, I observed Vincent Medina, who's, I think, one of the most talented educators I've ever observed, he talks about this period through a a kind of tone of remembrance and even grief around a a sense of loss for the land and and the Ohlone people. So when he is, is speaking about the colonial period, he's not talking about it in any kind of glorified way or any kind of, you know, celebration of progress. It's really, this is a period of solemn remembrance for the Ohlone people. And then I think um, there's a few other components that are important to emphasize that I think, you know, any educator, indigenous or not, could work on in their own teaching. One of those is that Indigenous peoples are very visible in the narrative that is constructed at Mission Dolores. So, you know, it's really talking about colonization through the perspective of Indigenous peoples, both in the past, in the early colonial era, all the way through the present. So how has colonization impacted the Ohlone people who remain in San Francisco and around the Bay Area today. So there's a lot of connections made between past and present. And I think the other thing that Vincent does very skillfully is that he says the hard things. He talks about violence. He doesn't do so in a way that's really meant to scare children. But he says, you know, this was a time of a lot of death and violence against the Ohlone people. And many people died and many people were hurt. And my observation is that that is not any more overwhelming to children than, say, talking about war. I mean, this is a kind of war. So I didn't see any evidence of kind of traumatizing children taking place there. Vincent is incredibly sensitive to children's emotional and social needs. So I'm curious how you your methods for this study. So this is a qualitative study where you know kids are going on this field trip, um, and and with this you know these two incredible educators at this mission and learning counter stories. So what what did the research process look like? Yeah. So this I was very aware of my own position as a white researcher and my position as an educator. So you know schools and museums have both done great harms to indigenous peoples throughout U.S. history. There's been a lot of exploitation and misrepresentation 
uh, of Indigenous peoples. So I was really mindful of that. And so I actually spent about two years getting to know Vincent and Andy at Mission Dolores and developing a relationship over that time to learn about their work and to learn about what was important to them because both of them are activists. Both of them have been involved in trying to make changes to the California State Department of Education's social studies framework, to the textbooks, et cetera. And, you know, I similarly, from a different position, am really invested in changing the way that we teach history to young children. And so I worked with them to develop the research questions that guided the study and really tried to build a study that would be useful to their own work. So did you just approach them one day? Had you seen them, you know, doing their work and you were impressed and just approached them and said, this is what I want to do and I, what do I need to learn? I mean, how, how did you go about developing this relationship as a, as a researcher with these educators? So, I mean, I reached out by email at first and got an initial response and then went and visited the site. And, you know, I through the budget that I had been given, I took Andy and Vincent out to lunch a couple of times, and we talked about what this kind of work might look like. And then kind of slowly from there, over many meetings, we worked together to identify kind of questions and a process that wouldn't get in their way of doing the important work that they're doing at Mission Dolores, but would document what they are doing and try to amplify it to a wider audience, which was really their priority because they wanted to get kind of outside legitimacy to some of the, the really valuable work that they're doing. So how does this experience compare to some of the other museums that might do similar things? Mission Dolores is incredibly unique in the state of California. It is the only, actually, the only mu mission museum that is indigenous run in the state of California. It is still owned, operated by the Catholic Church, but the curators are indigenous Ohlone folks, and it is unique in that way. Most of the other missions are run either entirely by the Catholic Church, by non-Indigenous people, or by their own nonprofits. And so what's happening at Mission Dolores is incredibly unique. And, and I guess another thing that I will say just to describe kind of the comparison of what field trips look like at other sites, you know, I would say it has a much lower budget for its education programs than most of the rest of the missions across the state. Some of the missions, like particularly uh, Mission San Juan Capistrano in Orange County, gets tens of thousands of, of children every year. I mean, it's a major tourist destination, field trip destination. And you go there and, you know, the docents all have head microphones and there's just many, many groups walking through the site all at once. And Mission Dolores is a much, much smaller operation with a lot less capacity for, for big groups of people. So you're able to get to know these two incredible educator, Ohlone educators who work at a mission museum and teach counter stories in ways that can be really powerful and instructive for people that go to these museums. What do you think the takeaway is for teachers who are trying to ensure that they, they are able to get their students to have similar experiences like this? What, what advice would you give? I think the biggest, most important lesson to take away from this study is that there 
is a way to teach about colonial history that addresses the violence that took place against indigenous peoples without overwhelming or scaring young children. And I think that that is a more intellectually honest uh, representation of the colonial past. I think that many indigenous educators are incredibly skilled at teaching colonial history. And I think that those of us who are not indigenous to this land have a lot to learn from the ways that indigenous peoples tell the story of colonization. And I think that it is one of our responsibilities as educators to teach the story of the land according to its indigenous peoples. And it was a great honor to be able to witness that happening at Mission Dolores. Um, but one of the messages that Vincent and Andy at Mission Dolores repeated over and over again was that any teacher can teach this history. It does not require an indigenous educator. Of course, we need more indigenous educators in public schools, but this work does not require that the person telling the story is indigenous themselves. Everyone is responsible for teaching the history of the colonial era according to its indigenous peoples, as well as the settlers, at the very least. That is the very least that we can do. Well, we I appreciate this work. And I remember seeing a tweet by Leilani Sabzalian, who's done incredible work in the social studies. And, and, you know, our indigenous people in the social studies can't do all this work. We all have to be doing it ourselves in our classrooms. And it, it just takes commitment and time and energy to, to getting, you know, history right and teaching a just history. So thank you so much for doing this work that, that really, you know, does that exact thing is, is adds, adds to what we know about this topic and, and how we can think about it. So thank you. Thanks for having me. It's nice to talk with you. It's been great to talk to you. Now, Harper, where can our listeners find you or your work online? I have a personal website that's harperkeenan.com, and it's regularly updated with writing and whenever I have any kind of media appearance. It was pretty snazzy. <laughs> Thanks. Or you can find me on Twitter at harperkeenan. Thank you, Harper, so much for joining us today. And we definitely do hope to continue this discussion on with your Twitter account online. And maybe you could add a message board to your website. <laughs> I'll think about that. <laughs> so at the Visions of Education podcast, we are all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun or creative in education or you just want to talk, tweet us at Visions of Ed. We're also on Facebook and again in that mystery place. And if you haven't already, and really, you should. Subscribe to Visions of Education on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you'd like us to be. And if you write us a five-star review, we will read it on the air. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Deep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast. Signing off. <laughs>